This is London. The beef eaters may have become spam eaters, but no one has seen Scrooge about tonight. Our men have been giving parties for British children. They have made toys of objects of wood and metal. Big, tough sergeants have played Santa Claus. Thousands of British children, especially the orphans and the poor, have had a memorable time thanks to the Americans. Some of them are a little homesick, but you couldn't tell it by looking at them. I've asked many of them what they'd like to say if they were talking to America tonight. And most of them have said, well, you see, it's a little tough to know what to say. But you know how it is. I have an idea. Most of them would tell you, don't worry too much. We're all right, and we're amongst friends. And some of them on this dark night might repeat the words written a long time ago. Though there be darkness, it shall be as the morning. And thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Edward R. Murrow, broadcasting live from London, Christmas Eve, 1942. This is a special Point of the Spirit presentation, Christmas, 1942. We'll hear more radio excerpts and clips from Command Performance, a War Department program broadcast to American troops around the world on Christmas Eve, 1942. Our main feature is my interview with Danish author Peter Harmson about his book, Darkest Christmas, December 1942 and a World at War. Our special, Christmas 1942, gets underway next. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of Despair. I've just released a brand new documentary. You can watch online for free on Tubi, the streaming service from Fox. The show is called Weather and Warfare, Millennia to Modern Time. Weather and Warfare dramatically retraces the meteorological forces during battlefield engagements that doomed or saved civilizations. In 1588, more than half of the Spanish Armada on its way around northern Britain was destroyed by storms in retreat back to Spain. Napoleon's attack on Russia was stopped cold by winter weather, as was Hitler's siege of Leningrad. Just click on the link in this episode's description to watch on the web or download the app or watch on Roku for free. I hope you check it out. Welcome back. Before we get into the show, remember to click that follow button on the podcast to be notified of our future fantastic guests like the author we're speaking with today. And thank you. Today's guest is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Shanghai 1937, Stalingrad on the Yangtze, and other works. He studied history at National Taiwan University and has been a foreign correspondent in East Asia for over two decades. His latest book is called Darkest Christmas, December 1942, and A World at War. And from just outside Denmark, author Peter Harmson joins us now. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Before we get into the specifics of uh, Christmas 1942, give us an overview of the atmosphere. It was was very uncertain at that time, wasn't it? Well, it depends on uh, what perspective you adopt. I mean, if you look at it from the point of view of of, uh, the modern historian, of course, uh, the uh, turning point of the war or the the turning points, more correctly, had already pretty much been passed. Like in in, in, uh, in Alamein, for example, the, uh, the British had had uh, beaten uh, Rommel. Uh, the, uh, the Allies had all landed in, in Northwest Africa. If you go to Russia, the German Sixth Army was surrounded at Stalingrad and in the Pacific. 
um, the Japanese were in retreat both in New Guinea and, and in Guadalcanal. So if you look at it with the benefit of hindsight, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of uncertainty. But, but in my book, I'm trying to uh, use the contemporary perspective, trying to look at, at the war, the way it, it looked to people who were actually in the middle of things at the time. And, and if you if you look at the, if you use that perspective and, for example, read the diaries or, or the letters that, that people wrote uh, in, in those in those times, you realize just how uncertain it still looked at the time. Um, mm -hmm. You could, for example, you could sit in the middle of the United States or in the Midwest, and and you, you might be worried that this might be your last Christmas in freedom. Is that what you used as a lot of the source material, diaries and letters for the book? Uh, yeah, to the greatest extent possible, I tried to use contemporary sources. I um, also used uh, memoirs um, by, 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 by people who had um, participated in, in the war. Uh, but to um, the greatest extent possible, I, I used the sources that were written at the time, whether it was letters or, or diaries or, uh, for example, contemporary newspaper reports, just, just to give some of the flavor of, of what the time really felt like to people who were living through things at the time. And I don't want you to get the impression that the 8th Army is just having a nice picnic and is going gaily singing carols up the road after Rommel. We are a good way at the moment behind our forward troops who certainly won't be going about caroling tonight. And Christmas, although it will be remembered and celebrated in the desert, won't, to be quite honest, be an affair of plum puddings and merry crackers and parties and good feasting for the men of the 8th Army. BBC correspondent Godfrey Talbot for the 8th Army in Tripoli, December 26, 1942. Now, uh, people's behavior was at both ends of the scale. There was great kindness shown, but there was also great cruelty. Can you give us some examples of, of some of the kindness and some of the cruelty? Yeah, I can give you uh, one example that actually has, has both aspects of human behavior in it. Uh, it's about uh, a Jewish uh, resistance, fight, resistance fighter in occupied Poland, who, um, as uh, darkness approached uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, 1942, was walking through the cities of, of Krakow. Um, at the time, he had just been in. Um, uh, he, had, he had he had had a, a close shave with the um, with the German police, who had managed to shoot him in the leg. But he, uh, he had succeeded in in, uh, in escaping from his pursuers, and and now. Uh, late in the afternoon of December 24th. He was like walking through the streets of Krakow, uh, trying to blend in, in with, with the crowd, but actually uh, feeling, of course, the intense pain from the wound in his, uh, in his leg. And uh, even feeling that he was like gradually losing consciousness because of, of loss of blood. So mm. of course he was in, it was a, a desperate situation for him. He, he had to find uh, uh, refuge somewhere. And the first, um, um, his first thought was to like walk into a Catholic church. Um, his, his idea was that um, of all the days of the year, probably um, the time where you would find some kind of compassion would be, uh, especially from a, um, uh, uh, from a, a Christian priest, would be um, on, on, on this very special night. Um, 
but he, he was turned away by, by the priest of the, of the Catholic Church. Uh, you can probably, as a modern reader, it's, it's, it's probably uh, to, to some extent understandable. I mean, helping a Jewish resistance fighter would, you know, entail the death penalty if, if you were found out. But still, it was, it was kind of, you could also characterize it as a somewhat callous act, um, especially on, on a night like that. So yeah. this Jewish resistance fighter just had to, to move on. Uh, uh, walking through the streets that were now emptying, uh, emptying of people. Uh, eventually, he found um, uh, an apartment building and managed to get inside and simply like collapsed on, on the staircase. And the people inside the apartment building, um, of course, also were scared that they knew that this was probably someone who had some, some uh, dangerous business with the Germans and, and helping him um, entailed uh, great, great personal danger. So uh, a few people slipped out some food to him, and others were just standing over him. As now, but now it was it was uh, it was uh, it was co completely night, uh, complete dark in, inside the staircase, and and he was uh, um, inside the building, and and he was uh, uh, slipping in and out of consciousness, and um, heard uh, overheard uh, small bits of conversation of uh, from people who were like watching him in the dark, uh, for example. One person saying, "Just leave him there. You know, he's 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 dead anyway. Uh, he'll be dead by tomorrow." Um, he he was saved uh, at the last moment by the concierge who came out from from her from her apartment and um, and uh, hastily um, uh, ushered him into her apartment and, and and gave him a bed to sleep and and to to recover. So so this is uh, I think a story that like encapsulates both things both. Great, uh, great callousness and also great kindness in a in a very extraordinary time. And he survived, obviously, to write the story of that yeah, experience. He right. he he, um, he moved to uh, Israel after the war. We'll be back in a moment. Man Performance USA, the greatest entertainers in America, as requested by you, the fighting men of the United States Armed Forces throughout the world. Command Performance, presented this week and every week till it's over, over there. All during 1942, Uncle Sam's shortwave stations and radio networks of the United Nations have been shooting out this big show to you guys who are shooting it out with the axis. From the fog-bound Aleutians to the steaming jungles of the South Pacific, you've written thousands of letters to Command Performance, and the letters were answered in person. Well, there's a victory committee here in Hollywood whose pledge to that worldwide victory committee of yours is... Buddy, your request is our command. For this one hour on Christmas Eve, a man and woman you call Mom and Dad become part of your show. For tonight, for the first time over the four great networks and independent stations, the War Department of the United States of America presents Command Performance. At this moment, the Chief of the Office of War Information has a brief message. Go ahead, Washington and Elmer Davis. On this Christmas Eve, all over the world... American soldiers, sailors, Marines, and nurses are listening to this program as they have listened for almost a year past. But tonight, it serves as a link between them and us at home. We're all hearing it. The whole American people, whether in the cities or on the farms or on ships at sea or in army camps or at the front. And we'll hear much more from command performance during the remainder of this special. Gift-giving season is here, and for the military history lover on your list, check out my book about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you purchase the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. 
Now back to the conversation. How about on the German side? Were there things that were happening in the prison camps that were unusual? Yeah. One, one uh, episode that uh, especially struck me and, and was actually one of the episodes that uh, motivated me to write this entire book was um, what happened at, at Auschwitz uh, uh, during Christmas 1942. There's especially one incident that um, really struck me because it shows showed the kind of like the absurdity of, of uh, the, the Nazi view of, of life. Um, and, and uh, the, the proper behavior towards uh, fellow human beings. Uh, they, they, they put up like a, a, a big Christmas tree in the, in the middle of, of, of the camp. And um, what, what happened next is um, it's been described in, in various sources and, and they're not exactly the same. So it's um, what I write in my book is kind of a, um, uh, kind of taking bits and pieces of, of, of different sources that I, I think sound uh, relatively plausible. But um, one of the camp guards uh, ordered um, uh, a, a number of, of prisoners uh, to, um, to, to strip off their, their coats and uh, fill these coats with sand and uh, carry the sand from one end of the camp to the other, like completely meaningless work. You know? It was simply a means to exha exhaust these prisoners. And, and while they were doing this, they were, they were beaten and whipped by German uh, prisoners and, and, and the capos. Uh, uh, several, uh, several of these uh, prisoners uh, collapsed during this, uh, th this work. And uh, by the, the moment they, they collapsed and fell to the ground, they were like thrown into a ditch with ice cold water mm. and uh, froze to death. Uh, afterwards, the, the Germans pulled out the, um, the dead bodies fr from the ditch and placed them onto the Christmas tree. Uh, saying this was a Christmas present to the Polans. Um, th th this is, um, of course, an, an incident that uh, shocked the, the people, uh, the, the prisoners who watched it. Um, I have one testimony from uh, a German prisoner who said afterwards that after, after watching this, he, he would never be able to look at Christmas uh, with the same eyes again. That Christmas would never be a, a, a time of joy ever again. I can see why that would motivate you to write this book. Um, were there other reasons why you wanted to focus on the Christmas holiday? Well, I think um, one of the uh, interesting things about war, and which makes war perhaps more interesting than any other activity, is that it gives us a much deeper knowledge about what it really means to be human, like brings both the proverbially best and the worst in, in, in people. And I think this is uh, even more the case uh, uh, when we are talking about Christmas in wartime, like some, some people are reminded about the original Christmas message and become even more willing than usual to put themselves at risk to help their human, uh, fellow human beings. I mean, I, I have some examples of, of this in my book. For example, there's uh, um, one, um, one incident uh, about a, a unit of Australian soldiers in the uh, New Guinea jungle who spent Christmas helping some of their uh, injured comrades back to um, for medical treatment in the rear um, and of course at uh, risking their own lives and in, in the process and afterwards uh, saying that you know seeing these um, uh, seeing these uh, bodies being uh, brought back to safety uh, was the best Christmas present they could ever uh, have thought about for themselves mm. so th this is like one example of, of how these um, um, the, the, the best of human behavior is actually uh, 
emphasized in, in, in times of, of Christmas. But then on your hand, there's the other way around, the other way around where some people use Christmas to become even worse and so like start playing cruel games. Like yeah. the like the uh, the example I, I mentioned about the, the Christmas tree at, at Auschwitz. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Command Performance Hope telling all you soldiers, sailors, and Marines that although Johnny Doughboy found a rose in Ireland, what he really wants is that stinkweed in Berlin. <laughs> Yes, sir, it's a great thrill and an honor to be on this command performance show on this Christmas Eve, the time of year when everyone has a feeling of love. Boy, you should see all the young couples walking in the park, the fellow with his arm around the girl, and the man from the draft board with his arm around the fellow. <laughs> but, fellows, back home here, the women are making this a victory Christmas. My aunt is very patriotic. Yesterday, she gave her girdle to the scrap drive. Now she's dreaming of a wide Christmas. <laughs> Everything about my aunt is patriotic. Even her dog. The other day he chased me down the street, finally caught me and bit off the seat of my pants. Thank heavens it was Meatless Tuesday. <laughs> but all the women are patriotic these days, and they're all doing their part. Today, wives are no longer backseat drivers. No, sir. They sit up in the hood now with a straw and siphon the gas tanks of the cars in front of them. How did Christmas 1942 differ from later years of, say, 43 and 44? Well, the reason why I, I used uh, Christmas 1942 and, and not one of the earlier years was that, that Christmas um, in 1942 was, was the first truly global war Christmas. Uh, until 1941, it, it wasn't really a, a truly global war. It was uh, two, two separate uh, regional conflicts, one in Asia that had uh, erupted in 1937 and, and one in Europe that had uh, started in 1939. What really brought these two conflicts together was the enter of the United States into the war in late 1941. Of course, uh, December 1941, uh, the United States was not yet uh, engaged uh, throughout the globe. Uh, mm -hmm. it, was, it was only something that happened uh, in the course of 1942 as uh, tens of thousands of American soldiers were, were shipped overseas to the Pacific and, and to, uh, to the British Isles. So you can talk about December 1942 as, as being the first time where you could actually like move around the globe and time zone by time zone describe how uh, different parts of humanity were were marking uh, Christmas at war. Then, then the, about whether or not um, Christmas 1943 or 1944 could also be equally interesting. I think uh, what, what really struck me as interesting about writing this book was that, you know, in, 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 in times of Christmas, it's a little bit like your birthday. You, you think one year back and you think one year ahead. You know, you think about where were you last year and where will you be yeah. next year? Well, the problem is at war, you don't even know if you will be anywhere next year. You don't know if you'll be alive a year from now. So there's this like uh, basic uncertainty associated with, um, um, with Christmas that, that really like, um, uh, intensifies this charge uh, emotional atmosphere that you find yourself in. Yeah. This, I think, was, yeah, was I think was like slightly less um, pr uh, pronounced in 1943 after you know the great German defeats uh, on the Eastern Front and uh, you know the fall of um, of fascist Italy and the um, you know the the beginning of the the U.S. advance across the Pacific. So I think 1942 was really a very special year in this respect. 
Well, men, this is Bob Hope, speaking from the USA. You know, this is the land that not long ago had boundaries. An ocean on one side and an ocean on the other. Douglas firs and deep snow and good fishing to the north. Blue water and lilacs and hot weather and cotton fields to the south. You lived and worked inside those boundaries and thought it would always be that way. You worked at the shoe store in Peoria. Yet tonight you're over there in England and North Africa, and you fly hell out of your bomber and go through God-made storms of snow and rain and man-made storms of steel and fire. And then you write home to this radio program and say, please do a song for me. You were the clerk in the local grocery store, the young doctor starting out, the history teacher in Grand Rapids, the mechanic at the corner garage. Yet tonight you're blacked out on a freighter or standing guard over your brother along a path in the jungle. You were the guy who had never been in Nevada. Yet tonight you're at home in Fairbanks, New Delhi, and Chung King. But, well, that's the way it goes these days. For the boundaries of land and water have vanished from all nations. And in their place, a single boundary of freedom is moving across the earth as God meant it to be. But because of guys like you, when we think of America, we still think of Douglas Furs. Because you guys are like those Douglas firs. And you're like the good fishing in the lakes and Coney Island and the cornfields and smokestacks. And you're like the little towns with the red water towers. And like Mount Rainier and Yellowstone and Highway 66. Because all those things are American. They were part of you when you left and they will still be part of you when you come back. The stuff that makes Americans. And brother, they don't make better stuff anywhere in the world. Is there a story from Christmas 1942 that stays with you and may have a meaning for us or a message for us today? Well, there, there are several different, but I think one in particular um, is one that takes place in uh, Western Germany uh, near the border uh, with, with France in, this, uh, in, in, uh, in late December 1942, uh, actually uh, December 24th, 1942. It's, it's about a, a German teenage boy Actually, a member, a member of the Hitler Youth, uh, not not by choice, because you know it wasn't a choice. You know, you had to be a member of the Hitler Youth. But you know, mm -hmm. a, a good German Nazi boy who um, who went skating with his with his friends on the first day of the Christmas holiday, and on the on the on the way to the frozen pond where the plans to go sh skating, he came across uh, uh, a construction site uh, manned by Russian slave labor. In particular, he saw one. Um, one uh, young Russian woman, of course, completely emaciated by work and uh, malnutrition, uh, holding a, a small baby. Uh, the, the, this boy, who was also, of course, uh, reared in, in the Christian um, Christian faith, immediately had associations with um, Virgin Mary and and uh, and 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 the, and the, and the Christ um, in in Bethlehem, and just thought that you know this. Uh, Jesus, at least at, at the time of his birth, had a um, had a warm uh, warm manger to, um, mm -hmm. to 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 to, um, uh, to to find himself in. Whereas uh, this um, Russian child was, you know, almost uh, freezing to death. So so this uh, this German boy went back later the same day and uh, collected uh, food that he wanted to to pass on to this uh, to this woman. So he went back um, to, to the construction uh, construction site, but was unable to find find the woman, and was immediately chased away by a German a German worker, uh, telling him that you know as a good 
a member of the Hitler Youth, he should know that he wasn't supposed to like help the enemy in this way. So, of course, it's it's a sad story because he didn't actually succeed in in, in passing on food to this woman who who probably died along with with her child. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 at the same time, it shows that you know small acts of resistance uh, and defiance are possible everywhere. They can occur everywhere, um, and and um, any person can probably uh, rise uh, in defiance of of, uh, of evil and uh, injustice. Yeah, one kind act like that can uh, can have ramifications and and influence other people. That's for sure. Yeah. The book is called Darkest Christmas, December 1942, and a World at War. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show today, and a Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. You too. And happy holidays to you, my listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this special presentation, Christmas 1942. We'll close out this Christmas Eve with Dinah Shore from Command Performance, Christmas Eve 1942. And I'll see you next time. Hiya, fellas. Well, it's not the same old Christmas Eve without you. But when we take down those little trees in that front room you left behind, the lights will keep on burning in that window in our hearts. My New Year's resolution is to keep on answering those wonderful letters you write to me, care of command performance. So for the Flying Fortress Mob at APO 875, for Colonel Ned in Alaska, for good old Pat Wing 7, for all the jungle mutters down in Panama, for Hayes and Snyder and the Air Force gang in China, for Mac, Red, Clancy and T-Bone, somewhere north of the farthest point north, for Colonel Ed, Marge, and little Shug, and for all of you everywhere, this suggestion. As long as you're not in love with anyone else, why don't you fall in love with me? presentation of the War Department of the United States of America. These are the radio networks and stations of the United Nations.
Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.